Well, good morning, East Point. I am uh, so thrilled that you guys are here with us today. Didn't quite know what to expect, but I appreciate you coming with everything that happened last night, but we're not going to talk about that. So, um, but I do appreciate you here, and before I jump into the message here, I just wanted to share from my heart for a little bit about uh, what you guys have meant to me. Uh, for those of you who you probably do know, don't know, whatever, the last year and a half has been uh, slightly uh, difficult for me, and uh, with uh, the things that have happened with cancer coming up in my brain and um, everything that has happened throughout the year. But I can't say that your smiles, your prayers, your hugs, and your questions of asking me how I'm doing has truly helped me get through this. This is not an easy situation to get through but it has made a big difference and impact in my life. And I just wanted to tell you, thank you for that. And I wanted to share that at this point, uh, the doctor says that everything is stable. So I praise God for that. My memory is not as well as it used to be, and my girls exploit that. Uh, but anyway, um, so today I'm going to talk about what your story is. We all have a story, and I'm going to start up by saying BLJ. My mom used to say that to me all the time. And I got to tell you, at first it was fine, but then it started getting a little irritating. She dropped me off at school. BLJ, Robbie. She dropped me off if I had to go to work. BLJ, Robbie. We'd pull up to the grocery store, and she'd be like, hey, can you run in and give me some eggs? Sure, sure, sure. Oh, Robbie, BLJ. Got really annoying. Started to get really annoying. Now, of course, I tell that to my kids when I take them anywhere. But, uh, you know, truthfully, I don't remember when it was, but at some point it clicked. I should BLJ. I should do that. And that should be my story. So my question is going to be for you today, what is your story? Now, I'll get back to BLJ here in a minute, but we all have a story to tell. Last year, I remember talking about, the. they always stick me at the last Sunday of the year. I don't know if they're trying to tell me something. But, uh, I remember I carried the backpack around, and I talked about what baggage you were carrying into the new year. And I tell you, it must have been a knockout sermon because I went home, I went and worked out. My dad said it wouldn't be his fault, but I had a seizure at the gym. And they rushed me over to the James, and I spent New Year's Eve and the first day of 2019 at the James. So that's how my 2019 started. So how did your 2019 start? I want you to think about your story of 2019. What did it look like? You know, it's easy to talk about your overall life story, but I want to talk about today, your day-to-day, week-to-week story. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, that we are here today, joined together, and um, I pray that as, as we're here and we're reading your scriptures, we're hearing, God, that, that we would learn more about you that we would grow close in our understanding of you, God. And may I decrease and may you increase today. In your name I pray. Amen. So I want you to imagine for a second that you are told that you need to go to someone's house 
who is the most hated, evil, and vile person you've ever known. They hate you, they don't like you, and they don't want you around. Might be a little scary to be told that you got to do that. You might be thinking, you're just a little bit crazy, I'm not going. But there's actually a story in the Bible of this exact situation. So let me backtrack a little bit, and we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, following Jesus, he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul says. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men with Saul stood speechless. I can imagine. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, saying, Ananias, calling him. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So this is his pushback. Seriously, God? Really? Is that where you want to send me? So Ananias went. He found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. A pretty amazing story. I can imagine all the different things that are going on here. But you know, every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's what my mother tells me. So uh, let's break down the story and consider how we might have our own. Saul's story begins as a Pharisee, and he was very zealous for God. But he rejected this Jesus that the Christians spoke of. He was there to approve the stoning of Stephen, and he was willing to travel in his efforts to put an end to this Christianity. Now, some of you might have a dramatic beginning. You lived a life that the world would embrace, but maybe not so much by God. There was no doubt that you were living in rebellion to God, or maybe completely even denied his existence. These stories, like Saul's, can be very dramatic and make a big impact on others 
who have found themselves caught up in similar life choices. As I was planning this message, I was trying to think of something that I've done in my life that was bad. Now, I've done some stupid stuff, let me just say. Thrown, did I hear uh uh-huh? That was my dad. I've thrown a football through a glass window. I've left tools in the yard for my dad to mow over. I mean, I've done some pretty stupid stuff. Actually, I do remember one time, I told my parents I wanted to make money. Okay, every kid says that. I was like seven or eight. I said I wanted to make money. And they said, figure it out. So, entrepreneur spirit, I said, okay, I'll do that. So, up our street, about five houses, was a stop sign. I went up there. I laid out my cones. I strapped on my little orange vest. And I stopped cars, and I charged them a toll to go by. (laughs) And they paid. And they did pay. Next thing you know, you hear the knock on the door. Go over to the door, that opens it up. Police officer and me. Is this your son? I imagine they thought, oh, what did he do first before I say yes or no? They said yes, and he said he can't be up here charging money. I had to pay to get by, but he can't do it anymore. I made like eight bucks, okay? So that was pretty good. But, you know, I never snuck out of the house to go see some girl. I never stole my parents' car. I never did that. You know, some of you might be concerned that you don't have this dramatic story to tell either. But I've learned over time, and let me assure you that your story is equally as important. In a world filled with role models and leaders who epically fail, it's good to hear the stories of those who found God early on and stayed the course through those trials and temptations. Don't let the absence of a climactic change stop you from sharing how God has been faithful to you. So the middle of Saul's story takes place on the Damascus Road. He sees this bright light. Then he hears the voice of Christ call him out. He's blinded by that light and he's sent to pray. And when Ananias finds him on Straight Street, he places his hands on him and he prays with him. And it says something like scales immediately falls from his eyes. Man, that's a pretty amazing story if you ask me. So let me ask you, how did you come to know Christ? What convinced you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? For me, it was at an Easter musical. They had this big production, and I mean, they build mountains and all this kind of stuff inside this worship center, and and we went and watched it. And I saw that, and I like drama, so that's how it attracted me. It may have been as simple as year after year learning, building up until you reach the day you knew you had to make that decision. It might be that God snatched you from the clutches of death, and you realized you needed to live for him. But your experience, whatever it might be, will resonate with the people that you share it with. Saul's story concludes with some amazing things happening. He traveled throughout the Roman Empire, spreading the gospel, organizing churches. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament that we use to direct our lives in Christ today. God was able to use a man who once tried to snuff out Christianity to ensure its global spread 
and its lasting impact. See, your story continues today. So let me ask you, what is God doing in your life on a daily basis? Where have you seen him at work in your life on a daily basis? These are important things. One of the strongest pieces of evidence that God exists in you is the outward manifestation of what's inside. So what does that look like? It looks like bearing fruit. You know, there's no such thing as an inactive Christian. That's kind of an oxymoron. Everything we do, we are to please God who is created, who saves us, who gives us his spirit to be the living example of Christ. Christian life is a life on mission, imitation, following Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening, learning from him, and then doing the work of God. See, in Scripture, we read that fruit, it's like a metaphor, uh, used to describe the outward demonstration of one's inward disposition. Our fruit includes things like our behavior, our attitude, our words, our thoughts. And fruit can be either good or it can be bad. Naturally, all people produce bad fruit. Sinful actions, deeds, or behavior. We can see this in Romans 7, 5. It says, when we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. Our bad behavior, our bad fruit, is a natural result of being born with a bad heart. In Romans 5, 12 when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. The thing is that it says we're born with a sinful nature, and so we're naturally going to produce bad fruit. Therefore, the first and most important thing towards understanding what it means to be a fruitful Christian is to understand what it means to be a Christian. You know, this may seem obvious, but the truth is that many people have misconceptions about what it means to be a Christian. Many people believe that maybe doing outwardly good deeds, going to church, being born to Christian parents, makes them Christian. However, God's Word teaches us that a Christian is one who has been born again through faith in Jesus Christ and is therefore a new creation who is indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can see this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. My uh, translation on my here is different than the one on the screen. So I want to read what's on the screen. Maybe. Or not. Okay. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, and the old has gone. The new is here. See, the contrast between the fruit, of the work, uh, fruit or works of the flesh produced by the non-Christian and the fruit of the Holy Spirit produced in the Christian is clearly in Galatians 5, 19 through 24. So it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me 
tell you again, as I before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it goes on. But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. We, we know these, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed these passions and desires to their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. They should be gone. It says those who have been born again spiritually and belong to Jesus should be producing this type of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. I think it's crucial to realize that being fruitful is not something that is accomplished by mere willpower, but only by the power of God and his Holy Spirit working in us and through the believer. Good fruit cannot be judged on acts alone. If that were the case, then the Pharisees would be the most fruitful of all people. Instead, Jesus calls them out verbally because although they appeared good on the outside, on the inside, they were rotten. They were not motivated by love for Jesus and their aim was not to glorify God. Instead, they were motivated by self-righteousness with the aim of appearing righteous before man. They bared bad fruit disguised as good fruit. So being a fruitful Christian works from the inside out. For instance, in 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, we read, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. You have to notice here that it's not actions but qualities that have the priority here. God first transformed our inner being, which then results in bearing good fruit on the outside. If we are not first inwardly made alive to God, our outward good deeds are mere hypocrisy. So then let me ask, what does the fruit look like? Good fruit is seen in a change in our disposition our attitudes, our affections, our actions. Those sins which formerly we love become loathsome to us. We don't like them. We begin to love others with the love of Christ. Maybe we forgive more easily. And when we're given the opportunity, we seek to do good to everyone. We exercise our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And we share the good news of salvation, and we begin to make disciples. This is that outward of what's going on on the inside. We are grateful, and we give praise to God. And we seek to do all things for God's glory. We strive to know God and to do the things which please Him, knowing that we can bear no fruit apart from Him. We can't do it. See, being a Christian is not accomplished by checking off a to-do list, but by having our character changed and conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. That's it. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, 
But let God transform you into a new person by the changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, to be fruitful means to follow Christ, to love what he loves, to do what he commands from a loving motive and with a joyful spirit. This obedience is empowered by God himself, which removes any grounds from boasting and how fruitful our lives or ministries or the things that we do become. Because it's not about us. The fruit is good only because God is good. So, how does this all tie together in my story? The question I asked at the beginning was, what was your story? So what is your story of 2019? Did you bear fruit this year that showed the outward expression of what Jesus did or is doing on the inside? There was a Roman Catholic uh, writer, Christian writer, who put it this way. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring mercy? Did I bring a smile to a stranger? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and my resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? And he continues. He says, these are the real questions, and I must trust that the little bit of love that I sow now will bear many fruits here in this world and in the life to come. So BLJ, be like Jesus. Are you being like Jesus every day at home with your kids blj and as we end 2019 don't forget your story for this year but as 2020 starts take a moment each day to ask am i living a life of fruit am i being like jesus so i challenge you guys blj